It just felt necessary to ask anyway, like we really were on stage somewhere and the audience was expecting certain things from us before curtain. This feeling was heightened when I made some remark about, can't believe you're leaving me, and he retorted, you've been leaving me for a long time. Ha, I answered back, though it came out lifelessly without the sting that I had wanted. That's from a play. I know, because I ran the lines with you. Finally, Daniel rose and said he was sorry for hurting me by leaving, but that he didn't think I'd hurt so long anyway. And he closed the door carefully and locked it from the outside, because he was always considerate like that. Even though we lived in a doorman building, he wasn't going to leave me vulnerable behind an unlocked door. When I finally hauled myself up out of the chair, dazed like I'd been sucker punched, my gaze lighted on a slip of paper on the coffee table. Staying at Tom's, he'd written and then included the phone number. He hadn't written it during our talk. He'd prepared it ahead. How far ahead? How many nights did he sit with me over takeout watching Seinfeld planning this? I tried to tell myself Daniel couldn't be expected to memorize my work schedule, that he had no idea he was ripping my life in half just before an important assignment. Daniel likely didn't realize that I had spent the previous five days talking myself up for that interview like a prize fighter, all but dancing back and forth and jabbing the air that this assignment from Skyscraper Magazine was a coup. I'd be interviewing a grieving mother in Brooklyn who was demanding police take action in the supposed accidental death of her son. The authorities had written off his death by car crash as a sadly common tragedy. Kids don't look where they're going, do they? But his mother smelled something rotten in how fast they came to that conclusion in favor of the wealthy driver of that glossy black BMW. It looked to be my toughest interview yet by a mile and then some. Perhaps it wouldn't have mattered anyway. Maybe it was already written in the book of life that I'd start shaking as the mothers started yelling at me. My editor, John, had reminded me that I couldn't just accept her rendering of the facts, sympathetic though she was. I had to be as thorough with Mrs. Ashanti Green as I would be with the police, later. It was because of this coaxing from John that I'd written the questions in my notebook like a script, so I could read the words one by one and not chicken out. So I read from my script and asked, how can you be so sure it wasn't simply an accident that your son was run over? Kids do get run over sometimes, especially if they dart out in the road. So that's when she started with the yelling, and I started with the shaking and crying. She hollered, how dare you cry when it's my son that's dead, when all I'm saying is truth? How dare you? Break up or not, perhaps it was already ordained I'd bolt from that grieving mother's kitchen without another word that I would throw up in a garbage can and wipe my face with a piece of paper from my notebook before running through bed until I could find a cab. So when John fired me, much as anyone can fire a freelancer, perhaps that was inevitable too. I thought he might give me an easier assignment, one like I had been doing before. Everyone loved my profile of a guy who gave popular impromptu performances from his West Village fire escape. Likely because it was Rat Pack jazz and not rap, the cops yelled out requests instead of shutting him down. No nice, friendly profile assignments for me. John said I needed a good, long break. I'd been making a paperclip chain while John made me wait for him in his office, and I, for some reason, still had the thing in my hand as I drifted out of the offices and plopped down under a tree in Bryant Park to get my bearings. It would have been foolish to return a handful of paperclips. And would I unlink them first? It seemed wasteful to throw them away, so I carried them home with me into the apartment. Here they still are, strewn over the notebook I'd clutched in that Brooklyn kitchen with its curling linoleum and faux wood grain table with the one short leg.
Now I picked them up, those paper clips, and I found myself passing them through my fingers like a Catholic with a rosary as I paced this apartment in front of the floor-to-ceiling windows meant to give the illusion of space in this city where we're crawling all over each other like ants in a hill. Since Uncle Paul's call just minutes ago, I'm bowled over with regret that I bolted from the last family dinner so quickly. If I'd only known that Grandpa was about to... I try to absolve myself. How could you have known? But then he's almost 90. Any day could be the last day. Grandpa had been holding court, as usual, recounting the funniest opening night mishaps he could recall, including a time a corpse started giggling on stage. The actor had apparently felt a sneeze coming on and was holding it in while making like a dead body. And somehow it struck him funny what it would look like if he did indeed sneeze. The sneeze, the nerves, trying not to breathe too obviously, it all struck him so hilarious he could no longer stop himself.